Hello and welcome to this webinar about the Bitcoin halving by me, Jason Dean. Um, I'm a crypto evangelist at Luno, which is basically just a flowery title um, for someone who goes around talking to people about uh, cryptocurrency in general and Bitcoin in particular. Now, to give you a little bit about my background, uh, I've been involved with Bitcoin now for some years, not right at the start, but I did stumble across it completely by accident in about 2013, 2014. And was obviously didn't understand it, uh, a bit confused by the whole thing. So um, I, you know, it looked a bit scary as well. So basically, I backed off for a bit and followed it really for the next sort of year and a half at a distance until I got properly involved. But once I did, uh, I really got hooked at that point and sold my businesses. And now, basically, I focus full time. Everything I do is is somehow um, Bitcoin related. Now, at some stage, of course, I had to explain uh, what I did um, to my mum, which became a very interesting conversation because my mum is in her mid-70s, um, doesn't have the internet, doesn't have a mobile phone, doesn't see the point of either. So trying to explain it to her, uh, well, let's just say neither of us came out of that conversation particularly well. But it did inspire me to uh, write another book. Um, I'd already written one, which is about money, but this one, I thought, well, look, if I can write a book that my mum can understand, um, then uh, no disrespect to my mum, but surely anyone can understand it. So I wrote the book, um, published it, she read it, she now does understand it, uh, more or less. Um, but that's good enough. And that kind of what started me on this journey. So, um, you know, then I started writing a lot more about it. So if you use Medium, uh, look me up at Jason A. Dean on medium.com. I'm a top writer in the categories of Bitcoin and finance and investing. So, you know, if you're on that platform, then look me up and you can read any of my articles there. I'm also a Bitcoin miner. So I'm involved actually on the back end of the operation as well. Started off with as a sort of budding miner years ago, built a rig eventually uh, with 12 graphics cards and then had a 16 card rig. Um, but those those have all gone now. Obviously, those days are gone, and my operation is now based in Siberia uh, with uh, ASICs. Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn or Twitter.com, same handle again, at Jason Aideen, and uh, messaging is on those, so you can always message me if you need to. Now, I've just taken this screenshot. At the time this webinar is being recorded, um, I've just taken that uh, a screenshot there. I've shown what's, uh, how much time is left before the halving. Uh, we're now pretty sure it's going to happen on the 12th of May. Um, you know, it's been bouncing around between the 11th and 12th of May, but it looks like it's going to be the 12th of May now. And um, so it's not long away at the time recording this. It's you know, four and a bit days um, away. So let's have a little chat about this thing and um, see if we can um, make some sense of what it's all about and what's likely to happen. So these are the things we're going to cover. So uh, what it is and uh, why we even having a halving. I'm actually going to do those the other way around. So we're going to look at what a why we're having a halving first, what the reasoning is behind that and um, what actually what it is really and then linked into that is what actually happens at the halving so this thing that we talk about this halving event that occurs what actually physically happens at that moment um then we're going to try and work out what happens next now when when we say what happens next it's it's really about money it's always about money um i've been uh, talking about nothing but the halving really for the last few weeks doing what i'm doing it's hardly surprising uh, and of course that's the question that always comes up what um do we think is is going to happen uh, financially so how much fear can we swap our bitcoin for 
Um, and we're going to have a look at some of the previous harvests to see if we can get any clues from that. But also we've got to bear in mind, we've got a very unusual situation going on at the moment because we've got these guys, um, we've got um, you know, people losing their lives and losing their livelihoods with, with COVID-19 right now. And that means that we've got a whole different situation going on because um, governments are having to print money left, right and center and creating a whole unknown unprecedented financial landscape and we've got to think about how that affects what happens with bitcoin going forward so we'll take take a look at that as well so first question really is is why are we even having this halving what, what what's it about well you know i could just say it's fundamental to bitcoin's principles but it's a little bit vague we need to go into a little bit more um uh, detail to, as to what that means so remember that Bitcoin was designed to be a provably scarce, non-sovereign digital currency. Now, there's other lines in there that we, we, we might include, but really today we're interested in looking at the supply side of Bitcoin. That's really the key area that we're going to be uh, looking at. And the thing is, um, if you want a financial system that has value, then you must have some sort of control over that money supply. And again, there's several parts to this, but the key ones that we would really need to know are um, exactly how many coins are produced um, uh, over what timescale and when these are released within that timescale. Now, you could argue that uh, who gets them is important also, but it's not directly related to what we're discussing now. Now, it, it, it does factor in a little bit later, but right now, let's just deal purely and simply with this issue of supply. Um, now, we already know these numbers. So we already know that um, 21 million will be produced over the creation phase of Bitcoin, which is due to run to 2140. So another 121, 120 years to run from now. And we know exactly how much Bitcoin will be produced at any point in that time. Um, now, that's completely unique and it's designed to be um, completely unique. In fact, it's designed to be um, something called disinflationary. So it has a strict money supply. Um, I'm guilty of sometimes I, I say that Bitcoin is deflationary. It technically, technically isn't. So whereas fiat, is, fiat currency is inflationary, um, something that's reducing is deflationary, but Bitcoin is kind of neither of those. It's something that has a fixed supply, but has an inflation within that in that um, supply up to the maximum amount. I haven't explained that terribly well, but it, it's the correct term is disinflationary. And as I say, I'm as guilty as anyone else is saying deflationary. It's not quite correct. That's that's the one if you really want to um, show that you know your stuff um, really well. So. Um, Disinflationary assets are, are kind of important because, first of all, they're quite rare. Um, as I've already said, fiat isn't uh, disinflationary, and actually most other commodities aren't either. But there are some that are quite close. So gold, for example, you would say is disinflationary. Um, and things that have that attribute are very positive for things like um, acting as stores of value. So that kind of correlation between gold and, um, and Bitcoin is, is a kind of real one uh, in, in that sense. So the best way to understand this really, now that I've explained those, those few lines, is really think about halving is one of the tools that the Bitcoin core code uses um, to make that scarcity happen, that deliberately designed scarcity um, happen. So uh, I can give you a, a little example of it, actually. So let's take, let's say you have a nice $1 bill 
um, and you've got that dollar bill in your hand and you know that dollar bill is, is part of you know millions or billions of others of those dollar bills that exist in, in liquid currency in M1 format. Um, now the Fed with what's going on obviously just basically announced they're going to print as much money as I like. I appreciate it's not physically printing it, but they're creating money. So we know that that dollar bill that you have in your hand now has you know, a few trillion more brothers or sisters linked to it. And we know from economic theory that that reduces its scarcity and ultimately will reduce its value. So we can see straight away that that's an inflationary item. Now, if you have one Bitcoin, you only have one Bitcoin out of the 21 million that will ever exist there will never be any more. So you're one of that 21 million will always be the case. And you can see straight away the, the difference in how that works. So uh, let's just look at this visually. Um, so if we look at um, Bitcoin uh, 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 um, inflation over time, I suppose. So you can see, you hopefully can see my cursor on the screen here, but this is the, the blue line is, is the coins being released over time, going right up into the future. As you can see, it gets ex exponentially harder as time goes on to reduce those last Bitcoin. And then you can see the inflation rate dropping down here and you can see it's completely controlled at regular intervals. And we know exactly how many coins are gonna be um, joining at any particular time. Now, if I just extrapolate that and put that into a nice little neat table for you here, you can see that at the launch, Bitcoin had uh, you know, an inflation rate of 61%, which is, of course, enormous. But in those days, you didn't need any processing power, really, to mine Bitcoin. You can do it on a, on a laptop CPU, um, and they'd just be throwing Bitcoins at you because you know, no one used them. They didn't have any value, but you could, you could create them. And by the time we were, you know, four years in and the first halving, it dropped to 10.68%, which is, you know, if that was a fiat currency, it'd still be pretty high, but at least it seems realistic. Um, and then we're currently in the phase of 3.93%, which again for a fiat currency would be considered high. However, from next week, um, or from the 12th, whenever you're watching this, um, the, the inflation rate will drop to 1.74%. Now we know this absolutely because that's what the math tells us. Um, but there's something fundamentally important about this because for the first time ever, Bitcoin will fall, Bitcoin's inflation rate will fall below uh, the level of um, three kind of key indicators. Now, the first one is gold. So gold has an annual inflation rate of about two and a half percent, roughly speaking. I know it varies a bit, but there's, you know, generally it's around two and a half percent. Global inflation is currently about 3.56%. Now that's as of um, today, which is obviously a few days before halving, and it's an estimate by statista.com. Um, we would expect, obviously, with what's going on, that to increase quite dramatically over the year. Now, the other figure that's important is most governments use the figure for about 2% to control uh, fiat currency. So 2% is a kind of key indicator of that. Now, Bitcoin is going to be below that for the first time. Uh, and the, the kind of important factors we may you know, want to take into account a little bit later on when we're looking at the um, possible effects of this. So it's all very interesting, but what actually is the halving. So now we know why we have it. We need this kind of financial control over this environment and this, this currency. What, what actually happens when this mysterious thing occurs? Well, of course, the technical answer is it's a 50% reduction in mining rewards. Now, some of you will know exactly what that means um, and what the implications are. Some of you won't. So I'll give you a very, very quick summary of how this works. Let's say, for example, uh, that's me on the left, that's you on the right, and we're going to do a Bitcoin transaction. 
So you would send me your Bitcoin address, which is you know, like a glorified email address in a way. And um, I will then use that address to send you some Bitcoin. And as far as we're concerned, that's the end of the um, um, you know, communication between us. Now, normally we would have to go through a third party. So we need a bank or PayPal or Visa, whatever it is, to make that transaction happen. Um, but this time we don't because we're doing it peer to peer. So something else is going on here. So as far as we're concerned, we just see this coin going backwards and forwards. But someone somewhere has to be doing something. And that something is mining, which is this kind of lovely romantic sort of name, I suppose, um, for what actually is going on. But really, mining is uh, a term used for the, the network um, processing. So Behind Bitcoin is this big network, which anyone can join or leave anytime freely. Um, and they can be part of that network and they can support these transactions. And this is done through quite complex um, calculations. We don't need to go into any of the real technical stuff at this point. But the point is, as a miner, which I mentioned at the start, I have invested in equipment and I am paying for electricity to run those machines 24-7 to act as part of that Bitcoin network. And there is a cost associated with it, and that cost is, is quite high. So I really need to get some kind of reward for doing that, and that's what the Bitcoin protocol is all about. So for every block that is processed, and remember, every block takes about 10 minutes, and it's basically a name for all the transactions that have been put together in, in the current situation. And um, every, every, every time they're processed, a reward is given to the miner who completes that transaction. I acknowledge I'm simplifying this quite significantly, but we don't really need to go into the technical detail. All that's important here is the understanding that there is a reward for the miner involved. Now, of course, in real terms, no one really mines on their own anymore because there are so many hundreds of thousands of machines around the world. It's, it's not really practical. So we all join these big mining pools and the mining pool, someone in there will, will win that block reward and it will be shared out amongst everyone. So until now, it's been 12 and a half Bitcoin per block. Well, actually it hasn't because this is the third halving that Bitcoin has experienced. So if we look back when Bitcoin launched back in 2009, um, the reward was 50 Bitcoin as, as we touched on. And that's 7,200 Bitcoin being produced each day. Then it drops 25 or 3,600 Bitcoin. And where we are now is uh, 1,800 Bitcoin a day because we're at 12 and a half. So already you can see how much this is, is, has dropped. Now from next week, we're suddenly going to be down to 6.25 blocks, um, Bitcoin per block, which is 900 Bitcoin a day. Now, as you can see, that's a big reduction. Obviously it's a 50% reduction, but in numerical terms, it's quite a big reduction as well. So um, you can see that straight away, the miners are going to be sort of having to do the same work for less reward. And that's something that we're going to, come back to in a minute. Now, the other thing to point out is that this change takes place every 210,000 blocks. Now, that's, that's written into the protocol, can't be changed. So, because uh, we're on the third one, we're now about to hit block height of 630,000. What that means is this happens instantly. So, the miner who gets block number 630,000, solves that calculation, makes it part of the chain, they will get the full 12.5 Bitcoin. The miner who solves block number 630,001 will get 6.25 uh, Bitcoin. And it happens instantly, literally just clicks over those, it doesn't, it's not phased out or moved, it happens exactly like that. 
So those, already there's quite a lot we know about halving. So we can rule out some of the uncertainty just by recapping on the things that we, we know about. So let's just have a look. So we know that 900 Bitcoin are now going to be produced a day instead of 1800. So that's categorical, we know. We know that the inflation rate is going to drop to 1.74%. Again, we don't have to worry about that. We know categorically that's going to happen. And we know it's going to be twice as hard for miners to produce Bitcoin, technically. I'll just put a caveat on that in a moment. We also know there's some likely effects because, because we've had two um, halvings before. There's a little bit we do know about it. Now, the first thing we're almost certain that will happen is that the mining hash rate will drop. And the reason for this is quite simple because when the halving occurs, as I mentioned before, the miners will get half the reward. Now, that's great. It, it, that's not so great if you're running older generation equipment. So the example I usually give is the Bits, Bitmain's S9, which is pretty ubiquitous. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of the units all over the world. And they've been, you know, really good productive machine, but they are coming to end of life. They're just about profitable at the moment if you've got a good electricity um, fee. Um, you know, not a high electricity cost, I should say. <laughs> Rephrase that a little bit better. Um, but after the um, halving, this can have reduced less, it's going to reduce half the income. So it's just not going to be viable to keep it going. So miners will switch off those machines and almost certainly never turn them back on again. So we expect it to drop. And actually, that's happened pretty much every halving, not just with Bitcoin, it's happened with you know, Litecoin, it happened with Bitcoin Cash recent, recently. That's probably the way it's going to be. The network itself will emerge unaffected, um, or almost certainly. Now, what I mean by that is uh, there is a school of thought that says, look, when the mining hash rate drops, that makes the um, network a little bit more vulnerable to attack. Well, you know, possibly, but the, the, the chance of it happening are so remote, it, it's as next to negligible as it can be. So basically what that means is, you know, for that to happen, you'd need to have a lot of finance. You need to have a lot of coordination to hit that window. You need to have a lot of equipment and you need to have a lot of will. Uh, and actually doing it, you know, it's unclear as to what you'd actually achieve by doing that because there's, there's no benefits as far as we can work out. So the chances of that happening are low. My view, it'll just be, you know, at the office as usual, just carry on. It won't be affected. And the other thing is adoption and use rates probably would be unaffected so if you look at a, a chart for example of how many how many wallets are created or or, or things like that um, you will see that the halvings don't really affect that and that's because these people who are setting up new wallets generally speaking are people who are new to bitcoin they just want to get involved they just want to use it um, and they don't so much get involved with the stuff behind the scenes at least not initially um, that's more for people like you and me, perhaps, who, who are more into, into the industry as a whole. The analogy I always use is a bit like driving a car, I suppose, for most people. So you and I can get in our cars. Uh, we start it, I'll press the button, whatever. We drive it A to B, we get out of the car, lock it up, don't think about it. We don't really care, most of us, how that engine works, or we just care that it goes and we can go from A to B. Um, now we can find out about it, we can work out, we can learn how to dismantle the engine if we want, but most of us aren't interested and bitcoin's kind of the same so we can send bitcoin to each other a to b without um too much problem and um we don't really want to know about all the detail that's going on underneath so it's unlikely to change any of that however there is a big unknown effect and of course that one is price because 
we don't really know what's going to happen from here. We can make a few little guesses. Um, we don't, you know, I don't do um, uh, 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 predictions per se, but I'm happy to discuss, you know, the bullish and bearish scenarios on this. So let's have a look at um, the effects of the previous halving. So at this point, remember, there, there are some caveats here because we've only got two data points. Now, speaking as an analyst, two data points is, is, is nothing. It doesn't give you any real basis of comparison, except perhaps to see if there's any coincidence there. You know, you had three or four times that you could say you had a trend. but we, So we have to take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt. And the other thing, of course, to use that old expression that we're all so familiar with, is the past is not an indicator of the future. So, um, you know, what we see here may not be the case that happens, happens next. So let's just have a look at what we've got here. Again, hopefully you can see my cursor on the screen. But what is quite clear, remember, we're only talking about price here, is that leading up to the halving event, which is these white lines here, there has been uh, a steady increase. This is a logarithmic scale, of course, um, in price and then followed by another increase in price afterwards, 12 months here, 18 months here. So we saw the same pattern there, same pattern there, and the same pattern coming out here as well. And also you'll see here that it's been, it's not quite so clear cut, but there has been a peak to trough rise of about 168% over that time. Now, it's a little bit tempting to say that the most likely outcome um, here is the one that we've seen before because it's happened twice before we're kind of set up to do the same thing again but things are very different um this time around and we've got to acknowledge that and, and have a look at it so the first thing is i should probably stop pressing the back button of all the buttons i've got on the keyboard i keep pressing the back button right so um so what is different this time so let's have a look so first of all adoption okay so the world is in a different place now in terms of Bitcoin adoption as it is, is for pretty much everything else. I'll give you some, I'll give you some idea of the numbers here. If we go back to the 2012 halving, so Bitcoin started early 2009, this is late 2012, there were 43,500 wallets in existence at that time. Now, that's a club. That's not a worldwide global movement. That, that is a club. So, you know, anything that's happening on that, basis is kind of hard to extrapolate out later on by 2016 there were 7.85 million so it's a big jump but still hardly global and as of this morning when i i looked on the blockchain there were 48.37 million so it's about seven times as much it's it's big but uh, not um uh, massively uh, you know not done on a global scale so we can get some ideas from it but we can't again you know really draw an absolute um idea on it so the next thing is awareness level that we can say has, has gone up. So it is higher than the first two. Does that help? Does that mean it's factored in? Again, it's really hard to say. So the other thing is mining levels. You've got to remember that ASICs, uh, that's the, the machines used by miners now. You can't use GPUs or CPUs anymore. ASICs um, stands for application specific integrated circuit. Uh, not the easiest thing in the world to say, which is why we say ASICs. Um, really only sort of become, uh, became sort of widely available in around 2016, started being deployed on a sort of large scale then. So the last four years of this halving cycle have seen a much higher um, uh, mining um, hash rate than we've seen before. Now, 
that could affect things. In fact, we've really touched on some of that. So we've got to take that into account as well. Institutional money. Well, you know, there wasn't much in 2012 or 2016. And to be honest, there's not a lot now. Um, there are a couple of options out there. Obviously, we know, you know, if you've been following this, you probably know about BACT. Um, and, you know, they've made a big fanfare about their, their, their physical settlement and their warehousing. Um, but the reality is, if you look at their numbers, most of what they deal with is um, CFDs, contract for differences or, or futures. The actual figures through physical settlement are very, very, very low. Um, and that might tell us something. And of course, that's this physical settlement that deals with the demand and supply side. We've also got Grayscale, of course, um, quite famously, but they, again, they've, they've got um, a Bitcoin warehouse and they're moving really, making a fund with shares of that uh, stashed where, um, Bitcoin. Uh, and there are a couple of ETFs around, not in the US, obviously, but there are um, a few around. So it's a little bit sort of round the edges at the moment. Um, so there's not any, I would say, real hardcore institutional money in there at the moment, but there is a little more than there was in 2016. The other thing we can't, you know, we're skirting around the issue really. Right now, map of the world kind of shows it very, very clearly, um, the effects of, of COVID-19, because people are losing their lives, they're losing their livelihoods, um, and the impact of that is permanently, I think, changing our financial landscape. And so Bitcoin, this halving is going to happen right in the middle of that. So we've got to have a look at, uh, uh, at that as well. So obviously there's this picture which has become quite famous now um, of the guy looking a bit worried in the big sell-off in, 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 in March, um, which of course was repeated all around the world. So let's just have a look at some of the um, effects of this. So the first thing is we have record low interest rates uh, everywhere, pretty much. Uh, here in the UK, just hot for the press, the Bank of England announced that they're going to leave rates exactly as they were at 0.1% historic low and they're forcing forecasting a drop in gdp this year of 14 percent uh, that's over the whole year 25 percent over the next quarter 14 percent over the year um that's the biggest downturn since 1706 right so that's 300 years so that just goes to show just how big this thing is and those interest rates aren't going to change really anytime soon We've also got unlimited QE. Well, of course, it's a feature of fiat currency. You need some money. We're not in the gold standard. We can just print some more. And again, uh, this morning, uh, the US uh, debt level got to uh, 25 trillion. Um, you know, Trump said he'd eliminate that in, in eight years. I, I'm just looking pretty unlikely at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not just America. I don't want to pick on the US because it's the same everywhere else. Everyone's printing right now. Business is normal, really. We think we're just going to go in, turn the lights on, open the laptops up and just carry on from where we left off. It's not going to work. It's just not going to happen like that. Apart from social distancing, apart from supply lines you know, being a mess and companies folding and what have you, our habits have changed, our attitudes have changed. Um, you may have read uh, just very recently that Warren Buffet sold all his stocks uh, in airlines um, at a loss. Um, because he, his view is that the way that people will travel will change. The, the, the airline industry has changed fundamentally. And I, I think that's a valid point. Um, we may even see infrastructure project knock-ons as well. So in the UK, again, as, I'll just give examples because I live here, I tend to follow this news quite closely. Um, but there is this big argument about the next run rate. Heathrow has been raging. I can't even remember how long. It must be decades now. Um, and, you know, is, is, is something like that going to go ahead if, if there's less air travel? Well, you know, raises question marks, doesn't it? So um, it, it's an issue. 
of course, the stock market is acting the way it's acting because it's on life support. It is be everything's being bought up um by um you know the, the government particularly again in the u.s where the u.s basically said look we'll buy everything uh you know you know bonds funds mortgage swaps you know we'll, we'll just buy it all um which is great because of course there's a lot a lot of sellers right now um so you know you take that life support away what's going to happen to that stock market because a lot of those companies their fundamentals are pretty poor right now um and it's a crazy situation to be in you know don't start me on that one on the other side of the coin you've got um the certainty of bitcoin supply i, I mean you've got all this noise and, and chaos and then you've got bitcoin's kind of the calm guy in the in, in the crisis just going well i'm just kind of over here just uh you know i'm just just banging out my uh, transactions every 10 minutes and um you know that's all I do. And of course, that network there can't be affected by individuals, but it doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what corporations you own. It doesn't matter who, who you are as an individual. You can't stop that. And in fact, no one can stop that. So it just ticks on in the background, just kind of doing its thing. And of course, the other thing is, it's very accessible. So for you or I to buy gold is actually quite tricky. Um, if you ever tried it, if, apart from buying retail over the counter, um, it, it's hard. It's hard to do. And whether you, if, even if you're doing it through CFDs, contracts of difference, it's usually a fee for holding those. Um, and if you want to buy it directly, you know, you have to go to specialist brokers. It's just not easy. And in, in times of crisis, that's where institutions goes, but we tend not to do that. Um, now, for the first time, we've got a choice because anyone with a smartphone um, or any internet connection or any device can access bitcoin so it's a it's a totally different uh, situation we've kind of got this old you know traditional um financial market uh, situation that we're all used to and then we've got this kind of new alternative i suppose for the first time so what does happen next what does all this mean now now i've been through all of this what does this actually mean well that guy's face kind of says it all really doesn't it we we don't really know uh, where we're going to go from here we know what our certainties are and our likelihoods are but in terms of price we don't know we can say that there are two kind of cases really here we've got the bearish case uh, where the miners sell their bitcoin to pay for the upgrade so in other words you remember what i was saying about them switching off the machines they'll run it to the last second as soon as it's not profitable anymore cut switch, switch it off chuck it in the bin it's gone. We now need to upgrade. So we'll, we'll, we'll sell our Bitcoin to pay for those upgrades. And remember, this is hundreds of thousands of machines. So it's not an insignificant thing. I would say, personally, my opinion is, as a miner as well, look, we knew this is coming four years ago. So, you know, we've had time to prepare. We know what's going on. I'm not totally convinced personally that miners will do this. But, uh, you know, it's an argument. The other thing is that the effects of COVID-19 mean that there are consumers out there who are almost certainly not thinking about Bitcoin. Um, they're furloughed, they're, they're, they've lost their jobs. It's, it's horrible out there. So the situation is rather than thinking about, oh, I must buy some Bitcoin, thinking about getting food on the table, want to feed the kids. And, and rightly so, that's, that's how it should be. However, on the other side of the coin is, is quite simply this argument, which is the simple economics argument, which is right. If you're going to reduce your supply by 50%, then for the price to stay the same, um, demand has to drop by 50%. Now, how likely is that in real terms? Well, you know, it's a difficult question to answer, but in my view, it's quite unlikely that that demand is going to drop to that level at the same time supply. It'd be a hell of a coincidence. Um, if anything, it's probably going to go the other way. So 
you know, you can kind of see where I'm going with this and my, my personal opinion, and I should stress this, my, my opinion, not Luna's opinion. Um, I think that is an unlikely scenario uh, for, the, for, the, for the demand to drop, that is. There is an expectation of a bull run, not everywhere. There are people talking about bull runs. People have increased their, uh, their forecasts recently. Um, and, you know, you and I both know that markets are not sometimes based on fundamentals. They're based on sentiment and what people think are going to happen. So sometimes you can have a situation uh, where a, um, a, a bull run can happen because people are expecting a bull run to happen. That's, that's how it works sometimes. The argument about whether Bitcoin is store of value or a safe haven, well, look, I, I can tell you I have arguments with people on this point all the time on shows or through articles. It, it doesn't matter. You know, this is one of the biggest conversations we have. My personal view is that Bitcoin is used by a store of value because of its accessibility, as I mentioned. But also you look at countries like um, Venezuela or Argentina, those guys, um, you know, they're doing anything to get out of the situation of their currencies losing percentages so fast. And in those countries, we have seen big increases in Bitcoin buying. That's not a coincidence. The other thing is COVID-19 means that consumers are thinking about Bitcoin. Now, uh, this is the other flip side of, of, of the counter argument. And really what I'm saying here is, look, um, I don't think there'll be an immediate effect here. But at some stage, the effects of the supply reducing by 50% are going to kick in. It's going to become noticeable. We'll, we'll suddenly find that it is harder to get Bitcoin when we want it. At the same time, the effect of printing lots of money is going to reduce purchasing power. Um, so that's going to create an inflationary pressure. Timescales unknown. Obviously, there's even an argument there might be deflation in the meantime, but which is possible. But the point is, at some stage, particularly with, again, this accessibility, um, there is a possibility that people might think about Bitcoin as a real viable alternative. So that's kind of the two cases. I haven't really mentioned much about this kind of middle case of where it stays the same, uh, because Bitcoin really does stay the same. It likes to bounce about all over the place. Um, and I suppose I'm going to have to be honest here because I know that someone's going to ask me what my personal view is. And again, I'd like to stress it's my personal view. Um, I think we're more likely to see a bullish case play out than a bearish case to play out. But I do think there will be a um, there will be a period of really not very much happens. Again, it's just my view. So when it ticks over to the to the new um, uh, block reward figure of six point two five um, Bitcoin, I you know just to be another day at the office pretty much. Um, the effects will come in a little bit later on, but I do feel that they will be bullish. Again, my view, you, you can take that with a pinch of salt. I actually take it with a pinch of salt. Um, as an analyst, I'm looking at this data all the time, and some of it is changing literally in real time um, because the landscape's so uncertain. So you can take your, your view on that. So I'm going to leave that here for this um, webinar um, because uh, at the end of the day, we can um, talk about this uh, quite a lot, but it, it's really about looking at what um, is important from the supply line perspective, which is what the halving is about. Where we go from here, well, we can all got our views on that. Thank you for watching today. Um, if you need any more information, in the first case, I would say get in touch with your um, PR representative from Luno. Those guys are, are, are really good. They know what they're talking about. If they can't answer the question for you directly, they'll put you in touch with um, someone you can. And as you probably notice, um, I'm always available as well through the media I put at the start of this recording, and you can get in touch with me directly if you'd like to do so. Um, it's a subject I'm passionate about, and uh, as you probably know, I'd like to talk about. So um, if you want to get in touch, then please don't hesitate to do so. But in the meantime, thank you very much for watching today.